Please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25. In the Pew Bible in front of you, that's page 17. This is our second sermon in a series on the lives of Isaac and Jacob. Uh, we have very scant information about Isaac. Uh, Isaac mostly arrives, mostly shows up uh, in the story of Jacob and Esau and, and in the story of Abraham. Uh, so he, he plays a lot in other people's stories a lot. Um, and today uh, is going to be mostly about Jacob and Esau. Genesis chapter 25, starting in verse 19. Lord, help us as we open your word, as we study your word today. Illuminate our minds to the truth in it. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Padan Aram, and the sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? Uh, last week, what we, what we said here, what I said here was that she went from one torment to another. Uh, she went from the, the torment of being childless, the, the deep emotional hurt that that can be, to now she's pregnant. And what a, what a deep bodily hurt that that can be. And even everybody around her seemed to agree, this is not normal. There's got to be something spiritual, some spiritual significance. Because we've seen uh, children jostle around in the womb. We've even maybe seen twins jostle around in the womb. But there's got to be something bigger going on here uh, with all the jostling and all the pain that she's got going on uh, right here. So she went to inquire of the Lord. In verse 23, the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. The name Esau means hairy. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. We'll stop there for a moment. Uh, there's a, there's a psychologist, child psychologist, psychologists a long time ago, even linguists. Uh, and I, I was a linguist before I became a pastor. Uh, I, I was an ESL teacher, and uh, language is my thing. I love language. I even love grammar. If you can imagine, imagine somebody loving grammar. I love grammar. Uh, one of my theology professors in college said that all theology has its roots in grammar. Studying the grammar, studying the words and how they fit together, it, it shapes the way that you see the scriptures even. Um, but anyway, uh, and I forgot almost what my point was there. Let me step back here. Okay. Uh, there was a great sociologist named Noam Chomsky. You ever heard of Noam Chomsky? Uh, and he even got in on the nature versus nurture uh, debate because people used to think, and this is as it as it, as it uh, comes in, in with, with language, that children only, ever, children only ever repeat the things that they've heard. They learn by, uh, by nurture. Whatever they hear, that is what they spit out. And of course, they learn all of their vocabulary words from us. There's, there's no doubt about that. They would never know what a chair or milk or anything was unless we told them, this is milk. And then they say, I want milk. Um, but but uh, Noam Chomsky actually really proved, he really proved even, that it, they actually come up with things on their own. It's not nature, and uh, it's, not, uh, it's not all just nurtured. There is something in there. There are, there are things going on in the mind that you don't control and things that they didn't just observe because 
uh, children, and they don't always say, I went. They'll, when they first start speaking, they'll say things like, I goed, I goed, because that's how we make a past tense, right? Um, I, if it's like, uh, what's a good regular verb? I walk. Well, to make it past tense, I walked, okay? So you put an ED on the end there. And of course, they, everybody knows that that's past tense because of the, the ED that you put on the end of a word, except for the irregular verbs. And so a kid will say, I goad. Uh, and they didn't hear you say that. They came up with that on their own. So there's a lot of, of inborn in you. There's a lot of nature inside of your head, a lot of things that you are absolutely born with um, that aren't just things that you observe from other people. But people often will go the other way, and they'll talk about, well, I'm, my nature has forced me to do something, when actually we say, no, it's probably your upbringing. There's things that you uh, learn from other, uh, other people. Your environment has, um, has affected you. And so psychologists today, I think we're still in the midst of this debate of what is more important or what is more dominant in you shaping your life and who you are and the things that you do. Is it nature or is it nurture? Which one is it? Or they're both in there, and I think we can all agree they're both in there. Which one is more dominant? Which one is more dominant? And I think that our passage of Scripture today really illustrates that and is just a big part of that debate. What is going on here? Uh, why is one like one and why is one like the other? And it has huge ramifications for who they are and who they will be all of their life. And in, even in all of Scripture, God is love, right? Uh, God never hated anybody, except that the Scripture plainly states, and it's a very disturbing verse, and what do you do with it? And it's not that God's not love, but God clearly said, He hated Esau. He hated. What? He hated? He hated somebody? I thought God couldn't hate anybody. I thought God loved everybody. And there are probably a lot of different ways to think about that, explain that. Uh, work through that theologically because I think God is love and God does love everybody. But there's a very plain statement in there. He hated Esau. Hated him. Use that word. Use that word. Hate. So you have Jacob and Esau here. And there's some great nature and nurture stuff going on in them. Uh, the, the, big, the, the first thing, and, and I just wonder, what, is the, what are the ramifications of naming somebody after their physical traits? Okay. Esau comes out, and he's hairy. He's hairy. A hairy baby, you know? And a lot of little babies come, off with, come out with a little bit of hair on them, don't they? Okay? But Esau came out with more than average. These babies jostled within her womb. Babies jostled. That's, that, but apparently this was more than average. Esau came out hairy. How hairy? More than average. Hairy like a garment. Hairy like you've never seen before. Harry, to the point that everybody says, this has got to mean something. This has got to have some kind of a significance here. And so they named him Harry. They named him Harry. And not H-A-R-R-O-Y. Harold is a fine and decent name. Anybody named Harold in here today? Okay. All right. Dale Harold. All right. Harold's a good and fine name. Nobody calls you Harry. Everybody calls you Dale. But, um, but Harry, H-A-R-R-Y, just fine. Harry, H-A-I-R-Y. How would you like to grow up with that name? Most of you probably have some sort of distinguishing feature on your body. How would you like that to be your name? Probably not. Probably not. But for him to grow up with some of that, well, look at that. We've got some nature and nurture going on just like that. Your nature is, you're hairy. Uh, the nurture, the environmental factor is, we just named you after one of your physical traits. Same thing happened to Jacob. Same thing happened to Jacob, though. He comes out grasping a heel. 
And the name Jacob, uh, some of your uh, footnotes in your Bible will say it means deceiver or something like that. But just somebody that's grasping at a heel, that, that is the sign of a deceiver. He trips you up. He grabs your, you're trying to make a touchdown, and he just reaches down and knocks your foot out from underneath you. And guess what? You fell, tripped, fell flat on your face, made to look like an idiot, all because of the Jacob behind you that tripped you up. So how would you like to grow up being called trickster? Trickster. How would you like to being uh, how would you like to grow up being called deceiver? And everybody, now I'm not turning my back on you. They both grew up with these kinds of, of traits, knowing that this is what I was named, this is what I was like uh, from birth, and then it gets sort of inculcated into them. This is who you are, this is who you are. No matter if you wanted to be that or not, this is who you are. So we have this nature versus nurture thing going on here um, in these boys all growing up. And they're twins. They're fraternal twins, not identical twins, but they're, but they're twins. And they know each other. And they know each other's vulnerabilities. They know each other's weaknesses. They know each other inside out. And that's going to play out here uh, very shortly in, in, this, uh, in this passage. All right. Verse 27, the boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but, Jacob lo- or, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So we've got some more nature and nurture things going on here. Uh, Esau was naturally drawn, naturally drawn to the open country, naturally drawn to the wilderness, naturally drawn uh, to hunting. So he nurtures that all of his life. And because his father liked it, because his father loved it, he encouraged, he was encouraged in that. Be careful what you encourage your children to do. Whatever you get excited about that your children do, they will think that that's important and they will do that more and more and more. Okay? And so whatever it is, whatever it is, if, if, if it's a good thing, if it's a good thing that will serve them all of their life, excellent, excellent. Keep on cheering that on. If it's something that's not all that important, don't cheer it on so that they think it's the, the most important thing and the best way to please you um, because they'll do that. They'll do that. They want to please you. As much as you may doubt it, your children do want to please you. So whatever you're cheering on in their life, um, be careful, be careful. Make sure that you're cheering on uh, the right things. These ideas in Esau's head became, uh, became inculcated, became deepened. Uh, he was good at it, so he nurtured that talent, and he was rewarded for it every time he came home and gave his father some meat, okay? But was that the most important thing? Was that the most important thing that Esau could have done for his father? And here I should backstep, backstep a little bit and say, let's examine this family, this family is not just a regular family. Your family, my family, you probably got more or less a regular family. This family was not a regular family. This family had uh, a calling and a heritage that no other family around them had. You see, God was making a nation out of this family. God had decided to make a nation for himself, and he chose a man. He chose Abraham, and Abraham had Isaac, and Isaac now has had Uh, Jacob and Esau. God is going to turn this family into a large family and into a clan and into a tribe and eventually into a nation. And throughout it, throughout it, the calling, the high calling that they had was all families on earth are going to be blessed through you. That's a high calling for a family, isn't it? 
your family, my family, we probably, uh, we have that calling, we have that calling, but uh, we don't have that calling in the same way that this family had, that they're the only ones in all the world with that calling. All the nations of the world will be blessed through you. The Messiah will eventually come from you. That's a high calling. It's a high calling. So what should be the most important thing that Isaac is instilling in both of his sons? What should he be instilling in both of his sons? Our identity as God chosen. Our identity as this conduit through which God will bless the entire, entire world. And we are the ancestors of the Messiah who will come one of these days. Those are big things. Those are big things to pass on. Those are big things to communicate uh, to a, uh, a child. No matter how, how old they are, the, you, you never, that should always make you awestruck that God has chosen us for this purpose and, and is going to be doing these things all through us all of our lives, all of our generations, all for this, for God's plan. But what was Esau being rewarded for? What was he being cheered on for? That's a big deer, son. That's some, that is some good foul there, all right? And Esau was good at it. He was good at it by nature, and then he got better at it. I'm not a very skillful hunter. This fall, I have gone and frozen in the woods two mornings. I'd like to nurture that a little bit more in myself so that I could make my freezing worth it. Maybe one of these days, if, uh, if it just never happens, maybe I'll, I'll uh, get a new hobby. Esau, by nature, didn't necessarily love the heritage that his family had. How much did he even know of it? How much was being passed down to him? But by nurture, it wasn't being instilled in him like it should have been, okay? And by the way, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. It is hard for us to take self off the throne of our lives and put God in the center of our lives. It is hard for us to say, I'm going to abandon all of my personal pursuits and I'm going to serve the Lord wholeheartedly. That's hard. Every person in the Bible had to put aside their own life, their own plan for themselves and follow God. And it was a big decision and it was a big uh, sacrifice, but sacrifice to gain something better. Always worth it when you do that. Um, but Esau, for Esau, that value was not being instilled. Nobody was saying, it's worth it for you to give this up in order to uh, follow the Lord. Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. And that, that is a very interesting verse to translate, a very difficult verse to translate, apparently, because a lot of different uh, uh, Bibles will translate it a different way. What's interesting is, um, it, in the original it doesn't say Jacob was content. It said Jacob was a perfect man. Or it, it has this Hebrew word. Don't think of it as the word perfect, okay? Because that's why nobody translates it as perfect. Because it's not the word perfect, but it, in Hebrew, it's the word that's closest to perfect in our language, okay? Uh, Jacob was not perfect. If you know the story of Jacob, if you know the character of Jacob, you know that Jacob is not perfect. So why would they use that word? Um, and it's, it's because perfect has a lot of different ideas behind it, and especially in the Bible. When the Bible talks about something being perfect, it has a lot of different ideas behind it. What was Jacob like? Jacob was different than Esau uh, in a good way, okay? Different from Esau in a good way. And when you understand what Jacob's like, and you see that it's compared to Esau, then you see how the Bible values the kind of person that Esau was. Jacob... 
I guess the way, the way that I see all the different translations, and they often say calm or uh, peaceful. This one says content to stay at home among the, among the tents. Um, what, I, what I think, when you put all of those ideas together, you might get something like this. Jacob was a more balanced man. He was a more balanced man, okay? Or he was a man who valued the right things better, whereas Esau was sort of going off on a tangent. There's nothing wrong with loving the wilderness. There's nothing long, wrong with loving the open country. There's nothing wrong with hunting or liking the taste of wild game or anything like that. But this became Esau's life and passion. And he got much too distracted by things that were not part of the high calling of his family and humanity in general. God was making a people, making a nation here. And what Esau was doing was going off on a tangent and doing something that was completely, um, completely irrelevant to that life and calling. So I don't know. I think it's a good thing for me to examine every once in a while in my life. And I say, I know I've got a life. I know I've got a calling from God. I know that he wants me to uh, uh, you know, fulfill certain tasks and, and duties and build his kingdom in a certain way. What is it in my life that is taking so much away from me doing that? You know, how many hours do I have in a week? Is it 196 hours in a week, something like that? If I'm spending 100 hours a week on something that's completely irrelevant to the life that God has called me to, well, then maybe I need to make some cuts somewhere. And of course, um, the Bible highly values building a civilization. Remember, God uh, created the earth and, and these two people and said, I want you to expand the garden, make the earth productive, um, fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. You can't do that if you're off by yourself in the woods somewhere. The there's nothing wrong with going off by yourself in the woods. Uh, Don does that two, three, three, four, six, eight weeks a year, something like that. But it's not because he hates you, okay? Uh, when he comes back, uh, anytime he ever comes back from camp, he's a flurry of activity around here, pouring into the church everything that he's got. And when he leaves, it's because he needs to leave. It's because he's worn out. It's because he needs some Sabbath and solitude. But there are people who hate other people. They absolutely hate people. They don't want to be around people, people that God has created. They'd much rather live in the woods off by themselves and never have to interact with another human being ever again. And you may have felt that way sometimes. And I'll allow you to feel that way one day a week, even. I'll allow you to, maybe Monday is a good day. No, I don't But Maybe every once in a while you do need to get by yourself. You do need some silence, some solitude, some time walking in nature with the Lord. Those are all very good, healthy things. But if you tell me, I'm going to go out in the woods and I'm going to build a little cabin and I'm never going to ever talk to another human being ever again, I'm going to say that might be unhealthy. I think any psychologist would even tell you that's unhealthy. And God has created you to be part of a church, which is a community, which is a people which is with him. Esau was, saw, or Jacob saw the high calling in the family. He saw what God was trying to do in the family. Or at least, if, if he didn't really necessarily understand the high calling that God was giving, he at least understood the family business and what the family was doing. The family was growing. And Esau, who saw what Isaac had poured his life into, the, um, the household that he had created, the maybe even business that he had created, the economy, local economy that he was a part of, 
building something here in the promised land. And Esau wanted no part of it. Esau wanted no part of it. He wanted to go off and, and be away. And the funny thing is that Isaac, Abraham and Isaac had poured all of their life into building this nation, this nation, and yet Isaac was just fine with Esau not being a part of it. That's a strange thing to me. That's a strange thing to me. I don't, I don't need my children to go into professional ministry like I have. I'm not going to call them into that. I'm not gonna, that's the Lord's place to call somebody into professional full-time ministry. But if my children grew up and didn't want to be part of the church, well, that would be heartbreaking. And I would see that as a huge failure on, on my part. Uh, I want to pass that on to them more than anything else. If my children grew up and didn't want to be a part of it, I'd say, wow, what in the world went wrong? What in the world happened? What did I not instill? What did I not communicate? And it's a hard thing when that happens. And sometimes it's not nurture. Maybe you did your part. Maybe you told them everything they needed to know. Maybe you prayed for them every night like you were just supposed to. Maybe you took them to church every single Sunday like you were supposed to. And you nurtured them so much they absolutely had to know. And they still walked away. Maybe that's nature in there working. I don't know. Uh, people grow up and their children walk away from the Lord. I don't blame them. I don't blame them. Uh, unless I saw that their parents were driving them away from the Lord. But I would hope that I would want to step in before that. If you ever see me doing something that you think will drive my children away from the Lord, you absolutely come up to me and grab me by the collar and say, hey, I did that and it didn't work out. Okay. We all want these things for the next generation, for our children. We want those things. We want them to value the right things. So that's why I say, be careful what you cheer on. Be careful what you cheer on in your child's life. And there will be a point, there will be a point in your child's life when whatever you've nurtured in them, whatever you've instilled in them, and, and whatever nature has made go on in their heart and mind. And when I say nature, sometimes that's, that's God-given things, and sometimes that's the sin nature that we're born with. Okay? Can't do anything about that. It's in there. But there's a point where it'll all reach critical mass, and you'll see, the, you'll see your child come to this moment where they either make the right decision, and it's going to affect them for a long time, or they make the wrong decision, and it's going to affect them for a long time. Maybe not forever for a long time, okay? We're about to get to that in the story here where Jacob and Esau, um, where Esau has had his upbringing. He's been not, not instilled with the right thing. He's been celebrated for the wrong thing. And it's about to reach critical mass. Let's look at verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. And I want to pause there and, say, and, and point something out that uh, uh, it, it may not be very obvious. Jacob is making the food of civilization, okay? He is a farmer. He has cultivated, cultivated these lentils, and that's what it is. It's lentils. He has planted, he has cultivated, and he has harvested lentils, and now he is cooking lentils at home over a fire, okay? In a pot. And that's all very civilized of him. And Esau comes in from the open country. And the funny thing is, he, I think Esau probably didn't take any of the civilized food with him because he's a skillful hunter. He at least didn't take enough. 
bread is the food of the civilized people because it, you, you have to be civilized because you have to plant, you have to harvest, you have to grind, you have to cook, and all, all these things in order to make bread. Esau didn't take enough into the open country, or maybe he didn't take any at all because he's a skillful hunter, and he goes out there, and he hunted like I did that day. And he came home empty-handed, or it was maybe two or three days that he went empty-handed. His skills failed him. Your skills will fail you at some point, okay? The Lord will not fail you, but your skills will fail you. And whatever it is that you're standing on that you say, I don't need the Lord, I don't need church, I don't need the Bible, I don't need any of this stuff because I'm good, because I'm talented, because I'm stronger, at some point that'll, that'll run out. And you'll be famished. And Esau came crawling home to civilization, famished. His skills having failed him. And he said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom. Edom means red. Edom means red. It's actually, I think it's the same as Adam. Adam means man of the red earth. Okay, that is why, that is why God made him out of this, the dust of the ground, this red earth. Adam, Edom, uh, because the vowels weren't written in, in the ancient Hebrew language. That's, that's beside the point. But it's, it's, it's the same thing, red, red. So he goes from being called hairy to being called red. How about that, all right? Two bad nicknames. One bad nickname from something you couldn't help when you were a child, and another one that will remind you of your bad choice for the rest of your life. We haven't seen the bad choice yet. Here it's coming. The deceiver entered in at his weak moment, at Esau's weakest moment. He's famished. He's heartbroken because his skills have failed him. And that's what happened in the garden, okay? The deceiver came at a weak moment, okay? And Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. First sell me your birthright. And folks, the deceiver wants the most important thing to you. Even if you don't value it highly enough, whatever it is that you've got that is the most valuable thing, not the most valuable thing you think you have, but the most valuable thing that truly is in your life, whether you recognize it as valuable or not, your honesty, your integrity, your chastity, whatever it is, the deceiver wants it, and he wants to wreak havoc with it. Be careful when the deceiver comes. And what is a birthright? So what is a birthright? Uh, I, I, from what I read in the commentaries, the scholars, they don't necessarily all agree on what it is, but it's not just the inheritance. It's not just the tangibles that's going, that are going to be left behind. In fact, it may not be the, the tangibles at all. It may not be the tangibles at all. What I think uh, from what I, I've read, what I think it, it really is, is that it's your right to be head of the household when the patriarch dies. So among the brothers, and of course the oldest brother, he's of course going to be the patriarch. When father dies, when the patriarch dies, he is now going to be the patriarch of the family. He's going to make decisions for everybody. He's going to have more say in what goes on in, in the large family than anybody else. There's probably somebody, if, you've, if you come from a home with lots of siblings, there's probably one sibling that's a little bit more dominant than the others for better or worse, or, or that everybody else looks up to uh, because they think that they're wiser, something like that, for better or worse. Maybe, maybe, maybe they're not wiser, but everybody seems to think that they're that way. Well, I think in this culture, it was sort of, it was sort of pegged. Uh, the oldest son has the birthright. He has the right to sort of call the shots on what happens in the family. If, if, it, does, if it concerns every household together, then he's going to be the one that calls the shots. But of course, Jacob knows that 
Esau doesn't value that. He doesn't value his place in this family. He doesn't value what this family has. He doesn't even value all the wealth that they have because he doesn't need it. He's good in the open country. He can go out there and get whatever he wants. Everything he needs for today, he can get it, except for this day. This should have been maybe the day that Esau valued home, civilization, the wealth that the family has produced more than any other time in his life. But his hunger and his personal failure at hunting that day have made him blind to it. And so here he comes in and Jacob says, hey, give me your birthright. I'll give you some beans. Give me your birthright. I know how weak you are. On a, on a strong day, on a good day, you'd never fall for this. But today, I see what you're like. Give me your birthright and I'll give you some of my beans. They're not even that good. You ever had lentils? They're not that great. It's not even chips and salsa, okay? And then in verse 32, we see what Esau's really like. Here he is at his most desperate moment. And in your desperate moment, that's when we see what you're really like. He says, look, I'm about to die. Is that true? Was he really about to die? I kind of doubt it. If he was about to die, they would have found him out on the open plains somewhere. Uh, I think if he was about to die, he wouldn't even be able to speak or reason or make this trade or anything like that. But no, I don't think he's about to die. But in your weak moments, everything gets magnified. Everything gets magnified. Your personal self-loathing or your weakness or your reasoning or any excuse that you have that you can give yourself to do the wrong thing, it all gets magnified in these weak moments. And then Esau said, what good is, my birth, is the birthright to me? We could write a book, Esau, on how good it is for you. We could write a very long scroll. They didn't have books. A very long scroll and give you 10 points about why your birthright is good for you why it's worth more than a bowl of lentils, why it's worth you giving up all that hunting and becoming a farmer of all things. Yes, Esau, it's good for you. So I don't know what it is in your life right now that you're being tempted to give up. What good thing, what spiritual heritage, what family you have or what, I don't know, what, I don't know what it is, but in your heart right now, if there's something in your life that you're thinking about giving up that's good for you, but you're thinking about getting, giving it up because of this momentary pleasure or whatever it is, don't do it. That thing is good for you. Value it more than you have been, please. And so Esau convinced himself that this bad trade was actually a good trade. Verse 33, but Jacob said, swear to me first. I know you'll go back on this. You may want to go back on this. Swear to me first. So Esau swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. It's very terse in the, uh, in the, the Hebrew. It's very, what the commentator said, it's very staccato. It's very staccato. Basically, what it means is he ate, drank, rose, left. Okay? So Jacob said, here's the apple from the tree, Eve. Okay? The deceiver said, all right, here's your apple. Take it. Make the trade. And here it is, Jacob saying, here's the bowl of, here's the bowl of stew, and here's some bread to sweeten the deal. I'll give you that no charge on the side. And Esau sat 
ate, drank, and then got out. And this last, that last phrase there, so Esau despised his birthright. When I was young, I, I, when I first read that or read that several times, what I always thought was, so after that, Esau despised his birthright. But that's not what it is. What it is is, so as you can see, Esau despised his birthright. Always had. And I don't know, despise? Despised it? How could he possibly despise it? But there might be things in your life. There might be family heritages and traditions in your life that you feel more as a burden than anything. It's, it has value. You just undervalue it. Esau certainly undervalues it here, but he might also feel this family pressure to be part of the calling and heritage that God has given them. And he has despised it all of his life. And today, whew, he finally got rid of it. See you later, losers. I'm going hunting. Okay? And this illustrates, I think, if I were translating this, and I'm not, of course, thank goodness, but I would say, so this illustrates how Esau despised his birthright. And there's probably something in your life. When you grew up, maybe you grew up, and at some point, you truly rebelled against the family. You truly rebelled against the family heritage. And at that point, everybody knew, oh, so obviously he doesn't want to be part of us anymore. Obviously he doesn't want to live the way we live anymore. Obviously he doesn't care about the same things that we care about. Okay, there's some sort of outward sign. It's funny how outward signs really illustrate what's going on in the heart. Esau despised the birthright, despised the high calling of the family, but nobody really knew it until one day when he ate a bowl of lentils. And what a small outward sign. But it shows exactly what was in his heart that he was willing to make that trade. We all knew he undervalued the calling that God has given us. We didn't know how much he undervalued it. He thought the high calling of God was the same as a, a pot of soup, a bowl, not even the whole pot, bowl of soup. We knew that you didn't value Jesus. We never knew how much until you made that trade. And man, it hurt. It hurt to see that, to see how little you valued the Lord West. And that's the way sin is. And that is how committing an outward sin that is visible to everyone else, he should have been humiliated and embarrassed. But instead, he just ate, drank, rose, left, and thought nothing of it. Jacob, okay, so why does God hate Esau? Esau doesn't just hate God. Maybe he wouldn't even say he hated God. But by doing all of this, Esau is showing, I think nothing of your calling. I think nothing of you choosing my grandfather. I think nothing of you choosing my father. I think nothing of all the worship that we have done. I think nothing of all the sacrifice. I think nothing of your plan of salvation that will eventually one day lead out to the Messiah. I think nothing of it, God. I'm going hunting. And so you might see, it's not just that Esau liked to hunt. It's not just that he wasn't much of a, of a tent-dwelling man. It wasn't just that he didn't want to be a farmer. It's not just that he didn't really like going to church that much. 
He didn't care for God's whole plan of what he was doing throughout history. I can see how that would make God not like him very much. And many times I've thought, but how could God like Jacob so much? Jacob is a deceiver. Look what he's just done to his own brother. Look at the things that Jacob will do in the following passages, the following chapters. He's no perfect person. But at this point today, we see something that he did value. Maybe he could even justify it in his own mind. If my brother keeps his birthright, this whole family is going to get derailed. If my brother is allowed to call the shots, what's going to happen to all of us? He doesn't value it. i got to get it from him. But there's selfishness working in there. He is certainly of no pure motive. But I do think that he gets it. At least he gets part of it. He may not get the whole thing. But I think God looks at him and says, you're valuing the right thing. You're going to do it. You're going to get it the wrong way, Jacob. But you do value the right thing. And that is why the younger uh, will dominate over the older one here. All right. Your child has a nature. And that nature may work against them and grate upon you quite a bit all of your life. You will have to work against that nature in yourself and as a parent in your child as well. You will have to nurture, and you never stop nurturing. From what I'm told, I'm not an older man with with grown kids, but I know that my parents have not stopped nurturing me. My in-laws have not stopped nurturing my wife and me. It just never goes away, that calling to parent. It never goes away. And so you always have, as parents, a right, a responsibility, and more power than you probably think that you do. You may say, oh, with all the media and school and everything, I just don't get that much influence over my kids. Don't let yourself be defeated that way. You actually have more than you think you do. So instill in your children the good things, the right things. Point blank, tell them. Don't always be too uh, uh, indirect about it, but certainly by your actions and certainly with your words, tell them, I value this. I will be happy if you do this. Excellent. Excellent. There's no way they can't know. And they'll know what gets praised, and they'll know what frustrates you as a parent. And I just want to, and don't write off your child. There may be a child that you have out there that you have a very difficult relationship with. If you have several children, there's always going to be one that's a little bit easier, and there's going to be one that's a little bit harder. And at certain points, you may be tempted to just throw up your hands and and say, forget it. There's nothing I can do here. Give it a few more days, at least. Give it a few more months. Give it a few more years before you totally write them off, okay? Keep doing your best. Keep trying. Keep instilling. Certainly pray. Certainly pray. But certainly communicate. Open the can of worms. Open the can of worms. They won't, they won't die, or you can't take the worms fishing until you open the can. Um, open the can of worms. All right, lastly, God has a firstborn, and he calls you to let him adopt you and become like the firstborn. 
and receive the blessing of the firstborn. God is so wealthy that he can give the blessing of the firstborn to all the adopted ones too. There doesn't need to be any favoritism in God's family. Uh, do you know who Paul Harvey was? He was, a, he was this, news, this news guy, but it wasn't just news. He, he, he actually he, 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 uh, he communicated some values too. And there was a woman um, that had, oh, she had a whole house full of kids, you know, nine, ten kids, something like that. And a reporter one time asked her, how do you divide your, your love among so many children? And she said, you don't divide, you multiply. All right? And I will tell you this. You are born, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are born into God's household. He has a firstborn. He has a one and only son. But he has adopted everybody who would come to him and say, I believe, I trust you, please be my daddy. He will reconcile that relationship and bring you in. And he'll say, this is my firstborn, Jesus. You want some, uh, you want some of his blessings too? I'll give them to you. I'll give them to you. Receive your rights. Uh, we are all like Esau at some point, the disqualified child who walked away, who didn't value what the, what the Lord wanted, what our Heavenly Father wanted. But he calls us back to receive our birthright again as a gift. We don't deserve it, but as a gift, he gives it back to us. Receive the gift and start valuing it like a person who realizes what was lost or what has now been given back to them. Okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for these people in the Bible. Help us to understand them, Lord. Help us to have the proper perspective. Help us to value the proper thing. Help us to serve you like a good child. And Lord, I know you're frustrated with us a lot. Please, continue to be patient with us. In the end, we'll get it. And Lord, we pray, I pray for everyone here who has a child, myself especially. Lord, and when our children give, our, give us difficulty, when they give us headaches, when they make us angry, help us to remember you, know what you are like, and be that kind of a parent. We thank you for the food that we're about to eat. Help us to enjoy our fellowship around the table. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, you are dismissed.